we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. So it's good to be with you this morning. My name is John. I am the discipleship pastor here, which means that I get to invite you into that relentless pursuit of what it means to become more and more the person that God created you to be that you get to be more and more the fullness, the expression of why you were created and why you're on the planet. I am delighted to be here. And as always, my intention is to help you move one step closer to your healing and your freedom. So I'm gonna give us something to chew on this morning. So you're gonna have to stay with me if you can for the next 20 minutes. And then we're gonna partake of communion together. But we're in this journey where we're learning through the concept of paradox. And when we read the scriptures, it's full of paradox, things that seem like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but when they come together, it takes us into a deeper truth and a deeper wisdom. And the ultimate paradox is I was sitting with that concept this week was heaven and earth. God's domain, our domain as people, what happens when the two collide? What's on the other side of it? And how do we deal with what's on the other side of it? As some of you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of the Bible Project and Tim Mackey, all things Tim Mackey. I love Tim Mackey. And Tim Mackey had a discussion around the book of Revelation, and he had a discussion around some of the concepts that we're going to be looking at this morning. So between Tim Mackey and N.T. Wright, two people that I would say have really helped shame and frame the story of God for me as a person who's always learning about the big story of God, I wanna give due credit to these two men that have been very influential in my life. So if you haven't yet listened to the Bible Project, I encourage you to jump into that. It's a really helpful tool for you to engage in the bigger story of God and in the scriptures, really a, a meaty discussion around this concept that we're gonna explore this morning. But the question that Tim asked, and this really got me thinking was, there's a, there's a statement that we use inside faith communities quite often. We talk about things being made new. And in the book of Revelation, there's an expression where it says, behold, I am making all things new. And in the Tim's discussion, he had mentioned like, how do we actually hear that though? Do we, do we read that with an assumption? Do we read that through a particular lens? And then what happens is, is that many times he suspects, and I wonder the same question, is as we read, behold, I am making all new things, is do we say, I'm making all new things as opposed to God making all things new? And is there a difference? Does it matter? Because sometimes the story is, God's going to destroy this earth that we live on and start over. And that this earth is going to disappear. Or is the story that's embedded in the bigger story of God, that God's going to renew this and make a new heaven and a new earth. And what does that mean? And so much of that discussion is centered in the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Revelation because I think it's centered in that book. And some people are absolutely fascinated by the book of Revelation. Some people are terrified by the book of Revelation. Some people are like, I've had so many bad experiences with the book of Revelation, I don't even want to talk about it. But first and foremost, I want to say, never add an S to the end of Revelation. And so what happens many times is we say the book of Revelations, it is the book of Revelation, it's one revelation about Jesus Christ. 
And if we add the S, then that takes us off on a different path. And many times we start breaking codes and we think, oh, the book of Revelations is about a series of revelations, different revelations. So it can really alter the way that we interact with this beautiful letter. So I want to give us some things to hold on to as we move through the concept of behold, I am making all things new or behold, I am making all new things. First of all, the book of Revelation is a letter. It's a strange letter, yes, but it is a letter written to seven faith communities in Asia Minor. These are all Jewish people hearing something through a Jewish lens. So it's really important for us to understand this letter was not written to us Americans. We Americans like to think that we're the center of the universe, but this was written to a specific group of people during a specific group in history at a point in time. Second thing, John is a pastor and he's writing as a pastor. He loves these people. And because he's a pastor, he's writing about something happening in the moment to equip them to move through something that's very difficult. So again, it's written by a specific person to a specific group of people at a specific point in history in order to deal with their current situation. Thirdly, this letter is also a prophecy. The very opening of the letter, Revelation 1.1, says to show the things which must shortly take place. Keep that framework in mind. Calling this a letter, calling this a prophecy, means that God is now revealing something that is going to require a response from the people getting the letter. These people are facing great pressure to give their allegiance to Caesar and to the Roman way of life. Imagine being part of a nation where there's like an undercurrent, where we have to give allegiance to politics, we have to give allegiance to a government, we have to give our allegiance to a particular way of life that might even be anti-Jesus. Raising the question all the time, which side are you on? What politic are you following? We're so dualistic in our way of thinking as Westerners that it's either this or this. Next, this letter is what is called an apocalypse. And by that, that means that some translations say this is an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The word apocalypse means to unveil or disclose. It's like looking behind the curtain to see what's going on. This is an apocalypse, an unveiling of Jesus Christ. This letter is about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world. It's also important to keep in mind that this is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic and it's very strange to a modern reader. You're gonna see creatures, you're gonna see talking animals, you're gonna see all sorts of crazy things happening in apocalyptic literature because its intention is to open up the imagination and give a revelation to what's actually going on in the current situation. Also note the book of Revelation has over 500 quotations and or allusions to the Old Testament. So in order for somebody to deal with a letter like this, you have to be deeply steeped and saturated in Old Testament understanding of what this letter is actually getting at. So the, the ancient reader, a first century Jew, who would have much of the Old Testament memorized would understand what it is that John is getting at as he uses this type of literature. Now, I, as a modern reader, especially as a 55-year-old white guy, 
living in a very affluent community, I have to be very careful when reading a letter like this, not to come with my already set assumptions and understanding of how I interact with the text. I need to understand that I probably am more, have more in common with Romans than I do with these early Jesus followers. I also need to humble myself and understand that I can have a tendency to read the scripture from a top-down power position because of who I am and where I am in the world. And so much of the scripture is written from a bottom-up mentality. You have people who are living in oppression. You have people who are occupied. And they're telling the story from the perspective of a downward to an upward position. So I have a lot of work to do as a person who comes in and begins to interact and read the story to understand I need to read them from a bottom-up perspective. The next thing to keep in mind, when reading a letter like this, we need to keep this letter in the whole big story of God. And what we do sometimes is we take little bits and pieces of the big story, we pull it out of context, and then we turn it into what is called a pretext, or we do what is called proof texting to prove our point. And when you take something out of context and you turn it into a pretext, it can lead you to all sorts of wrong conclusions that the author never intended in the first place. And then we get entire theological systems especially around end times, and especially around a book like Revelation that can cause all sorts of disruption to the actual big story of God. So we have to keep it in the big story. So let me read something to you from Revelation that on the surface, it might look like it's saying one thing, but it will require us to do a little digging and navigating in the text. Then it says this in Revelation 21, one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, first and foremost, as you're reading this language, first heaven, first earth, creation, that takes you all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God created the heavens and the earth. So this is the first creation. And the story goes that God is hovering over chaos there's water, there's chaos. It's just a big blob of nothingness. God comes over this formless void and it says there, there are no boundaries. It's just kind of out there floating. And God begins to bring order into the chaos and he gives boundaries. He creates meaning. He creates humanity. He's starting to give order and shape and form to this formless blob. And then God in God's infinite wisdom calls this the first creation story. Now keep in mind, it's important to understand, especially as modern readers, that we can't take our modern ideas and insert them into the ancient text. These ancient readers, these people, had what I would call a three-tiered view of reality. They had the heavens, and the heavens are where the gods live, where God dwells up there in the sky somewhere. There was no way for them to navigate or understand what's up there. And then you have the earth. This is where humanity lives and humanity dwells. And then you have the underworld. And the underworld is unknown. It's below the sea. It's in caves. It's where chaos exists. It's where evil is present. So you have the heavens, the earth, and the underworld. And yet God's very first image of creation is he comes into a formless void, gives shape, 
creates something beautiful, creates order in creation and humanity. So as John is writing these words, John is steeped in a big story and he imagines a world opening up when he starts to talk about new heavens and new earth. He's imagining a whole new world opening up and he refers to this world as something new, a new beginning, right? This is paradox, heaven and earth, new heaven, new earth. What happens when the first created thing combines with heaven, what comes out of that is the big question that is perplexing sometimes to people, especially as modern people. And according to the New Testament writers, over and over again, this new world, heaven and earth coming together, is gonna be permeated by God's love, peace, and harmony. There's something coming. So when Jesus breaks into this world and he comes down from the heavens to the earth, we see Jesus getting baptized. And as Jesus comes out of the chaos, out of the waters, this is God's way of saying what? New creation is about to happen. There's a new thing that's going to start and God's exclamation over Jesus says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And he just anoints Jesus in that moment. And so a new creation coming up out of the waters. You picture this like, this creation story where God creates something out of the formless void. So Jesus is like this expression again, another creation story. And like when we see Jesus walking on earth and then he's killed and death can't keep him down and he rises again, it says he rises again in a physical body. Now it's interesting, if our physical bodies don't matter, why does Jesus resurrect in a physical body? And yet they can't recognize him and yet he is recognizable. And so there's something different going on with this imagery. And we'll get back to that in a moment. But Revelation 21 is rooted in this imagery, this new idea of a new heaven and a new earth. And this gets very confusing for us as modern readers. Now, I was raised in the church and I was raised in a particular story. And the story that I was told as a child and then just believed it because that's the story I was given was is that God is going to destroy this earth one day and that our actual destination as God's people is heaven out there somewhere. That's, that's our final destination. That's our home. Now, what I understand now as I step back and look at that is that situated me in a particular story. And the story is, is we're just kind of passing through this earth and the next place that we're gonna go is out there and it's going to be much better than this and we're gonna to get to go home someday. Now, if this is the big story of God, where does that place us in the story? And then how do we react when we see this earth? How does it affect the way in which I engage with the planet? How does it affect the way in which I engage with relationships? If that's the story. I wonder, slide number eight, it says this, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And this is where, again, Tim Mackey and Auntie Wright have been very helpful for me. Depending on what story you are living in, how do you hear new things? What does that bring up in you? When you hear the term, God is making all things new. There are things right now that are actually being created, things being made, things coming into existence. And the current thing 
that's being created according to the scriptures and the biblical story is that that thing's gonna be made new. So what does that mean for the first thing? Does the new second thing have any connection to the first created thing? That's the question. So let's admit it, friends. We as humans are doing everything that we can to distort and decay creation. We're, we're trying to decay it, tear it apart. And to use biblical imagery, Paul in Romans 8 talks about the earth is groaning. I might even say the earth is screaming, that even creation itself is groaning for a release, that something is coming. And it's like, we want, we're groaning for this new creation. We're, we're anticipating something new coming. And yet it doesn't mean we dismiss the first thing, but in anticipation of the new next thing, what does this do to where we're currently at in history? So let's think for a moment about the restorative work of Jesus, because this is what matters. Jesus' restorative work. Jesus comes into our world in flesh and bone, takes on skin, moves into the neighborhood with us, becomes like us, and then shows us this is what it actually looks like to be human. I want to show you how to be a human and interact with the kingdom of God here on earth. And then one day he's killed and he comes out of the tomb three days later in a physical body. What is that pointing us to? It says in, in one story that Jesus is hungry and he asks for fish. A resurrected body, not a floating around body, but a resurrected physical body with different dimensions. Something different is happening and there's a challenge for us because we don't have categories for this. And it's hard for us to understand the different dimensions, but it's getting to this kind of this prototype of what is to come, that when heaven and earth collide, this new thing is created. Then we read a passage like 2 Peter 3, 12 through 13. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And then we go back to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new sky, a new heaven, and a new earth. For the former sky, the former heaven, and the former earth had passed away, and there no longer existed any sea. Now, as a modern reader, how am I supposed to understand that? How do I interact with that? text. Because you read that on the surface and it looks like there's only one option. Understanding what's happening here though, these writers are using Greek language and the Greek language that's being used for new here, there's two different words that you can use for new. There's neo-new and kynos-new. Now neo-new is like the character in the matrix, neo, new kind of human. Neo is new in time. New in time is not Kainos new, but new in time as this thing is brand new. New home, new car, new sweater, new clothing. So our current home that my wife and I lived in was built in 1890. If you throw up that first one, Brie, that first picture of our house, this house was built in 1890. It was an old miner's home in Louisville. And that picture is actually from 1940. So between 1890 and 1940, some work had been done on the house. There's a front porch over there to the left that's still there today that's enclosed with glass. 
the little like pre, like the pre warm up room where you, I guess you throw your boots in there in your snow and you come into your house. But that's our home in 1940. And that house was built in 1890. And today that house is 134 years old. In 1890, it was Neo new. In 1940, it is Kynos new. That's our house today. Now, if you know where that house is, I'm not giving you permission just to stop by and come knock on my door. But that's the home that we currently live in. It's a cute little house. It's beautiful, covered with trees. But over time, it has evolved, but it's still a renewed home. It's not a brand new home. So it's kind of new. 134 years old, the house is still standing, and now you've got these two humans living in it from California. Kainos is the word that John is using in Revelation 21, and kainos means renewal or quality. Kainos. And what I find so fascinating about the word kainos is that this is the same word that Paul uses to describe us as human beings when we make a conscious decision to follow Jesus. When we're confronted with the living God, Jesus, and he says, come, follow me. I'll show you what it means to be human and to bring heaven to earth, follow me. And we say, yes, Paul says, you are now a kainos creation. We are kainos creations. That means we're in the midst of becoming something beautiful. There's a transformation that happens. So it's not my old self gets put away. My old self is bad. My old self gets dismissed. It's like, no, my old self is experiencing kainos creation. I'm becoming a new kind of human not new in time, but kainos new, where I'm being restored and all the broken parts and all of the old parts of me are coming into fullness and I'm becoming a new kind of human being on the earth that perpetuates and leans heavily into the way of Jesus. That's what kainos creation is. Not being done away with, but bringing into wholeness where Christ somehow reclaims everything, everything I've been, everything I've done, everything I've participated in, even all the ways in which I've sought to screw it up. God says, I'm taking all of that and I'm renewing you and making you new. It's like we're all being filtered through Jesus, the heavens, the earth. We as Kainos creations, it's going through that filtration process. And what's on the other side of that is new creation, Kainos creation. We're all being filtered and created in the image and likeness of Jesus. And so our current reality that we're living in now, if you think about our current reality, doesn't feel new because our current reality where we exist right now is very much based in transactionalism. Everything is a transaction. We're in competition with everything and everyone. The systems that we're in, it's about winning and losing, up and down, who's in, who's out. It's very dualistic. So our current reality is very much rooted in this transactional approach to life where it's about who's on top and who's on bottom and identifying the people who are in and who are out. And then Jesus comes crashing into our reality. And what did he say? The kingdom of heaven is here. Things are about to change and shift. And then every time he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he proclaimed it and then he demonstrated it and people were set free and demonic oppression was set free and people were loosed and chains were broken and now people are coming into freedom and hope. And now we're starting to feel what it means to be a human being, alive, 
ready to embrace whatever's coming, this new creation that my old self, no, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a kainos creation. And I declare this over your life this morning. You are a kainos creation. In Jesus' name, that is who you are. Jesus is in the process. If we think about the implications of what Jesus is doing right now in this time and space, he's in the process of making all things new. That includes you and your broken relationships. That includes you and the things where you feel like you have no purpose. God is doing something even in that, making you new. And because we are Kainos creations, we can choose to forgive. We can choose to surrender. We can choose the way of love. We can choose to love our enemies and the enemies of our nation. Are you with me? We can choose that. We are new creations. So maybe, maybe it's time for all of us in the room to step fully into that. And that's why I love that we're, we're ending with communion on this journey this morning because communion is the ultimate expression of God meeting us here on earth. It's Jesus' blood, it's Jesus' body broken for us so that we can come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And if you have not said yes to Jesus yet, I wanna offer the invitation for you this morning to say, I'm in and I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be this new human that loves, that accepts, that is generous, that is kind, and that we choose kind over being right and that we don't have to win for God's sake, but that we are new creations, new kinos creations. So there are six stations around the room. There's three in back, three in front. And when you're ready, I invite you to come and receive the good gift of God's grace. And guess what? No strings attached to this gift. There's no dangling bits of transactionalism. It's free. It's for you to come and receive. And maybe this will be the first time for you where you come and you're like, this is the first time that I'm stepping into this new reality of becoming a Christ follower. I invite you to follow Jesus this morning because you will be in for the adventure of your life. So when you're ready, come forth and receive the good news of God's grace. Thank you, Jesus.